0: That
1: um last slide please before we go to thank you. That last chorus or verse rather. There we go. Um the last verse. Yeah, that's one. Just look at those words. I want us just to spend a few moments in prayer. All my best works are naught. Please they not thee. Sorry, that's the one I wanted. Now is my will resigned. Struggles are quelled. Play on the wheel, wheel am I nothing with Master, I yield to thee. Crumble, then fashion me. Look at those words. Flawless and fit to be indwelt by thee. Before we open God's Word this morning, we need to pray and ask the Lord to crumble us before He can fashion us. He needs to crumble our wills. He needs to crumble the way we think about His Word, those walls we put up, so that He can fashion us and make us flawless. And so, let's just spend a few moments in prayer and I'd ask you to join me pray aloud. Let's just come before the Lord and ask Him to do His work in us. Lord, as we quieten our hearts before You, may Your Holy Spirit do Your work in us, Lord. You've said in Your Word that worship of You is our obedience to You, but it's our heart attitude towards You. So crumble us before you now, we pray.
0: Lord, as we quieten
1: ourselves before your word now, we pray that we would remember that this scripture that we will read is your inspired word. It's not just another book. Lord, you can make those words live in us. So Lord, we are here because we need your presence We need your indwelling, and we need you to change words into life. Do your work, we pray, so that when we leave this place, we will glorify the name of Jesus Christ through our obedience. Change us to your glory. Amen. Well, I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Luke. As we carry on in our studies, you'll notice the theme for this morning is the myth of neutrality. And it comes out really clearly in this text. Let's just read together Luke chapter 11 and we're going to be reading from verse 14 to verse 28. And I'd ask you to follow along in your Bibles. By the way, who's got a Bible here? Just hold up your hands. Quick pastor survey. Bring your Bibles, people. We need to have God's Word with us. You need to follow with your own eyes to make sure that I'm not speaking nonsense. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And another gospel says it was deaf as well. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mutes spoke, and the multitudes marvelled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others, testing Jesus, sought from him a sign from heaven. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with a finger of God, Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he stands; he takes from him all his army in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest. And finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it happened as he spoke these things. That a certain woman from the crowd raised a voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But Jesus said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I don't know if you recognize this fine fella in the next slide. Anyone recognize him? Pig Ben. Alright, his name is Pig Ben from the Peanuts cartoon series. I always remember Pigpen. There was this one series that I remember. There were six frames that started off with him brand spanking clean. And the next frame, he's just standing dead still like this. The next frame, there's a little dirt on him. The next frame, a little bit more dirt. And right at the end, he's completely filthy. Just standing there. And he can't seem to get rid of the dust for more than the briefest periods of time. And in spite of his best efforts, it appears that he can't stay clean. And then he makes a little summary about himself. He says, you know, Charlie Brown, you know what I am? I'm just a dust magnet. When I looked at that cartoon, it just reminded me of who we are. Aren't we sin magnets? And without doing anything, you're covered in sin. Because your thoughts are mulling in you. We are born with a sinful nature. Read with me, if you would, Romans chapter 7. And I know we're in Luke, but now we're in Romans. So go with me. Romans chapter 7. And this is the super saint, the Apostle Paul. Listen to his struggle with sin. Verse 21 of chapter chapter 7. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Have you found that? I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. There's the secret. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he comes to this conclusion, verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now we're going to see that working out in this passage this morning. That principle of indwelling sin in us. And how we react to Jesus Christ. You see, the the opposition against Jesus was intensifying from this point on in the history of what was happening now. Remember, where is Jesus on the way to? He's on the way to Jerusalem. And we know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, right? He's going to be crucified in the end. But the the opposition against him intensifies. And we see this morning three Wrong responses to Jesus and his power. They see miracles happening in front of them and people respond in three incorrect ways. And you and I need to evaluate this morning, are we reacting in the same way to Jesus and what we see him doing in our lives? So let's see. Here's the first reaction to Jesus. Verse 14. The crowd saw Jesus healing this demoniac who was deaf and dumb. Just in brackets, Satan never wants good from us. Do we ever find a demoniac who's a singing demoniac, who's a healing demoniac, or an encouraging demoniac? No. Satan always wants to crush and bring down. There's a the characteristic. So, this crowd sees this demoniac who's deaf and dumb, and there in front of them, Jesus heals him. And what's their reaction? They marvel. Wow. But that's it. Why were they marvelling at what Jesus had done? He had, he had cast demons out of people before, hadn't he? In Luke chapter 8, we see him casting a demon out of someone. Previously, he had cast out um, a demon in someone, just outside the temple. But here the crowd is marvelling. Why? You see, this one was different. The Jewish procedure for casting out demons was this. You first commanded the demon to identify himself, and then because he, you had identified this demon, you now had authority over this demon and then you could cast it out. So that was a set Jewish procedure for casting out demons. But what does Jesus do here? Does he ask it for a name? No. He just casts out the demon. You see, he is more powerful than any demon. Previously we saw next to the lake of Gennesaret, there Jesus had asked the demon, what is your name? And the demon had replied through the person, my name is Legion. And then Jesus cast it out. But here he doesn't ask for a name. He just casts out the demon. You see, Jesus has power over named and unnamed demons. And here he is intensifying the power that he is showing to the people. He's showing them he is the Messiah, the all-powerful God. And the crowd marvels. But that's all. It doesn't lead to the next step. It doesn't lead to recognizing Him as the Messiah. It's just, wow! What's next on the agenda? What else can you do? You see? Before we point at the crowd, we need to ask ourselves, don't we do the same? We see magnificent things that Jesus does. and We say, wow! But it doesn't lead to anything else in our lives. Churches are filled every single Sunday with people wanting to see the next wow thing. The gold dust on the palms. They want to see all the slaying in the spirit. They want to see these things, but it doesn't lead to anything else. It doesn't lead to you are the Messiah. It doesn't lead to Jesus Christ is to be glorified. It's just wow. That's what this crowd is doing. There's a second response to Jesus, and it's another wrong response, and it comes from an envy because of power that the Pharisees had seen. And they are identified as the Pharisees. When you go and read Mark and Matthew, they are identified as the Pharisees who had this next response to Jesus. You see, instead of rejoicing that God had sent a Redeemer, these Pharisees rebel and they try to bring discredit to God's work and and to Jesus' character. So, let's just go to that scene. And there are these Pharisees, and Matthew says to us that they'd come down from Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is nearly in Jerusalem now. And so, here this a bunch of Pharisees. They'd heard about Jesus, and they'd come down from Jerusalem, specifically stated. And so, they were probably from the great Sanhedrin, head office, in our words. And they're concerned about the influence, the growing influence Jesus is having over the crowds of people. And and this concern that they have is now growing into an open hatred over his claims to be divine. Remember, he had said, I am God. I am the Messiah. And so this open hatred is displayed in this reaction of theirs. You see, Jesus wasn't honouring their traditions about the Sabbath, about the fast and the feasts. He was associating with sinners. And so they bring this accusation, and it's a very serious accusation, because it's done publicly in front of the crowds. What do they say? He casts out demons by Beelzebub. Now, you notice that little word Beelzebub? They were having a bit of a dig anyway, because the, the original that the original Philistine god was called Bolzebub. Beelzeb- Hang on, I need to get this right. bull which meant lord of the dwelling or lord of the princes. But here they have a dig, and they always did when they spoke about Satan. He's just working for Lord, the lord of the dung, the lord of the flies. And they just changed the word slightly. But they're having a dig, and they're saying Jesus is just being controlled by Satan. you see the blasphemy? These are supposed to be the religious leaders of the people. And they bring this very serious charge against against Jesus. And this is it. Jesus is possessed by Satan himself. He's working for him. Blasphemy. So that's another response. We have a third response here. Others say to him, tempting him, notice in your text, Lord, show us a sign from heaven. Notice that phrase, show us a sign from heaven. Something else, Lord, We've seen you casting out demons, but what's that? Show us a sign from heaven. Move the galaxies, Lord. We want to see something bigger. You see, always wanting something bigger. You see, they underrated Satan's true power. And they underrated the greatness of what they've just seen happening over here. Jesus had cast a demon from a deaf and dumb man. There are many today that do the same to Jesus. Bring discredit to his name. I was listening to an uh, an article on the radio. I was listening to the radio yesterday and there was this guy who had rejected Christianity and turned to Hare Krishna. And he started this whole farm there near Nelson, teaching people an alternative lifestyle. He said he tried Christianity, but he can't justify what Jesus did in reality. And so he's rather going to show people a more practical way. Bring discredit to Jesus' name. You just have to listen to the media sometimes and the way they react to church leaders calling them fundamentalists and anyone who takes a stand for anything that's right from a Christian perspective. There seems to be this bias from the media too to bring down anything to do with Christ and Christianity and what's good. It's not news. Three reactions to Jesus. Now, we're going to spend quite a while with Jesus' response because he responds in various ways. Firstly, he responds to these Pharisees and he says to them, you've got a flawed logic. You've got a flawed logic. A kingdom divided against itself, verse 17, is laid waste. A house divided against itself falls. That's logic, isn't it? So you're saying that I am working for Satan. Why would Satan allow me to work against him? in his own kingdom. Why? Your logic is flawed. And what he was also doing is, he was having a dig at them, at the spiritual leaders of this nation, who brought this nation into political and religious factionalism and strife, because of their leadership, which was not pointing to God, but at their own set of works. Why would Satan allow his own kingdom to be attacked and brought down? And what is the implication of that? He wouldn't, would he? And so what's the further implication that Jesus is doing so without Satan's permission? And he's doing so in opposition to Satan's kingdom, do you see? I am more powerful, says Jesus. I am working in opposition to Satan's kingdom. I am not one of his cronies, as you say I am. And then Jesus takes it further, and he always does. He takes it one step further and he says, and by the way, those people that work for you, those exorcists who go around the countryside making money from putting on shows of exorcism, that's what they were, by whom do they cast out demons then? They claim to cast out demons, don't they? And in reality, they were using trickery, fraud, and asking money for that. Very interestingly, if you quickly flick to Acts chapter 19, I love this, it's actually a bit of a humorous account. Acts chapter 19, look what happens when some of these exorcists in the time of Paul start casting out demons in the name of Paul and Jesus Christ, using their names to try and cast out demons. Look what happens. Acts chapter 19, verse 36, verse Sorry, verse 13 to 16. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, same people that Jesus is talking about now, alright? They took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We adjure you by, in other words, we command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. Do you see that? Who did so? And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And so, this man who had this demon in him overpowers these so-called magicians, and he takes them to the ground. I like that. That's fantastic. You see, but these are the types of people that um, Jesus is talking about, and they were doing so under the permission of the chief priests and the Pharisees. So who do they cast our demons by? In other words, what Jesus was saying, you Pharisees, you approve the false exorcists, but you disapprove of me as the genuine exorcist, so who are you, are you really serving? In other words, you are serving your father, the devil. You see his argument? And then he carries it even further. He takes them back into Jewish history, which they would all know. And he takes them right back to Exodus. Remember that time in Exodus where the magicians were around Moses? And Moses was doing amazing things. He cast his stick on the ground and it became a snake. And what did the magicians do? They did the same. Then Moses' snake gobbled up their snakes. You see, he says, remember that time? I do the work by the finger of God. And he's quoting an exact phrase that those magicians used when they saw what Moses was doing. And they said, this God, this must be by the finger of God because his works are much greater than our works. Jesus quotes that direct quotation from those magicians. And these Pharisees would have known what he was talking about. And he's saying, well, I am working by the finger of God. And therefore you should know that the kingdom of God is among you. You should recognize the kingdom of God when you see it being built in front of you, but you don't because you are blind leaders of Israel. Listen to this truth. There are none as blind as those who choose to be blind. I'll repeat that. There are none as blind as those who choose to be blind. If you choose to be blind, you will not See the truth. These Pharisees chose to be blind. Here was the Messiah casting out demons in front of them, doing amazing works in front of them. The kingdom was on display in front of them, but they chose not to recognize it. And, but they rather bring discredit on Jesus Christ. Are you one of those two? How many times have you heard the gospel? How many times have you heard the truth of the kingdom? How many times have you chosen to turn your back? There's no difference. And then to think that Jesus hasn't kind of illustrated enough, he brings a, another illustration to them. And he says this. A blind, a strong man is safe in himself as long as he hasn't been attacked, right? Call him a bully. A strong man is safe so long as no one else attacks him. He can look after his possessions, he can look after his house, but when a stronger man comes along, what does the stronger man do to the strong man? He conquers him completely, he breaks down his defenses, he takes away his arm, he strips it, and then he takes everything that that strong man has, and he distributes it to his friends. What is Jesus saying to them? You might think you are the strong man, but I am the stronger man, and right in front of your eyes, the kingdom is being taken away and is being built. And yes, less and less people are following you, but more and more are coming to the kingdom. The stronger man is taking over this place. The strong man is conquered and his spoils divided. And here Jesus was quoting directly from Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12, speaking about the Messiah that would one day come. Listen to these words. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12. Speaking about Jesus and it was now coming to pass right in front of them. This is what it says. Therefore I will divide him with a capital H if you've got a Bible that's written properly. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, Jesus conquered once and for all. He invaded Satan's domain when he came to this earth. When his truth was proclaimed, when his miracles were performed, he would destroy Satan's armor and Satan's weapons. And later, when Satan thought he had conquered Jesus, when he saw Jesus Christ on the cross, and I see that scene right in front of the cross where you see those soldiers the casting lots for the cloak. I just imagine Satan going, chuckling to himself. It's done. And when Jesus cried those words, it is finished. Satan must have really gloated. But how did it all changed for him on the third day? When Jesus rose again from the dead, then Satan knew, I am conquered finally. And I praise the Lord for that day. You see, Colossians 2.15 says it like this. When the strong man was conquered by the stronger man on that great day. This is what Colossians 2.15 says. Having disarmed principalities and power. What's he speaking about there? Satan and his minions. He, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. Jesus did it. And that is why we can take courage today. Yes, Satan is strong, but he is not the stronger man. Jesus Christ is the stronger man who can conquer Satan. We need to believe that. Jesus illustrates with a beautiful illustration, very clear. And then if that's not enough, he summarizes in one devastating sentence to these Pharisees. And it might be a devastating sentence to you. I pray that it is this morning. This is it. Verse 23, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. I'm going to read that again. Listen if you can hear any gray area here. Can you hear a gray area? I'll read it again. He who is not with me, where's the gray area, is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. You see, spiritual neutrality is a myth. It's a lie of Satan. Jesus says, if you are not with me, in other words, if you don't believe that I'm the Messiah, if you don't believe that I'm the only giver of life, then you are against me. It's with me or against me. There's no, I believe in Jesus, but I'd rather just follow my own life, and that should be alright. There is none of that. If you're not with me, You're against me. You see, not believing in Jesus is not a safe or a neutral position, as so many people believe. They believe in Jesus, but they don't do anything about it. And they think they're all right. It's actually a very, very dangerous position to be in. And Jesus will illustrate that as we go through. You see what he's saying here is, if you're not with me, then actually you are standing in full battle array against me. You are making war against me. That's the language he's using. here. Do you see the seriousness of it? Paul uses the same principles when he writes in James chapter 4 verse 4. This is what he says, and he calls a spade a spade. You adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship that he's literally getting into bed with, The world is enmity, literally all out warfare with God. It's one or the other. If you're not a believer here today, this is not what I've made up by the way. This is what scripture is saying. Jesus is saying, and teenagers you need to listen. If you have not yet made a commitment to the Lord, you can't ride into heaven on the coattails of your parents. You can't ride into heaven on the coattails of being in church every Sunday. This is what Jesus says. If you are not with me, you are against me. Listen to the urgency of scripture. And then as believers here today, he has a word here for us too. This is what Jesus says to you and I. Are you listening? He who does not gather with me scatters. You see... Even in our Christian lives, there's no neutrality. If you are not gathering with the Lord, you are scattering with Satan. Is that serious? If you are not about the Lord's work and building the kingdom, there is no neutral ground. You are scattering with Satan. That is very serious. I want to ask you this morning, how are you about the Lord's work today? Are you gathering with him? Are you actively involved in the community that God has put us into here? Because if you're not, you are scattering with Satan. It's urgent. Are you involved in what Jesus is doing? What is Jesus doing? He's building his kingdom. We just heard about it this morning, right? Colin's dad came to the Lord. Praise the Lord, one more person is built into their kingdom. He's building, His kingdom. You can't be neutral. You can't not just be doing nothing, because if you are, you are actually scattering. You are actively working against Jesus Christ. Do you want to do that? Do you want to work against the Son of Almighty God? Jesus adds a last warning here. This must have been a bombshell to these Pharisees. And we see that in verses 24 to 26, where Jesus gives a stern warning about neutrality. And he gives us a little bit of an insight about how demons and spirits work. And especially in these cases where there's a phony exorcism, alright? Because these were happening all around Israel. These phony exorcists were going around for money and they were saying to people, we will cast out the demons. And then they were driving out the demons, but only temporarily, That was the danger, you see, because they were using these great names, yes, but then these demons came back into these people. And this is what Jesus describes it as. He says, when a demon leaves a person, it goes through dry places, it goes through desolation, seeking rest and finding none. Why? Because they are still under Satan's rule. They are still under Satan's orders. They can't rest if they are not doing what Satan has told them to do. And then they go back to where they've been cleared out of. Jesus says they will return to that vacant space. But this time, here's the warning, they come bringing seven whistling. And seven, if you know anything about scripture, was the perfect number. They will bring the perfect amount of strength back against this person. And there the person thought they were delivered, but now they are really under bondage. You see what was happening with his exorcists? They were putting the people under even more bondage. But there's application there for you and I as well, you see. Because no occupancy of your soul is no option. When our soul is cleared out of things that shouldn't be in there, it needs to be filled again with something else. No occupancy is no option. There will always be a tenant in your soul. And when it comes to our sin, and we ask Jesus to clear the sin from our hearts, we must be sure that we do it in His name. We're not just trying to do it by our own abilities. Because if we try on your own abilities, sin is going to come back with a vengeance. Unless Jesus Christ clears it properly, unless Jesus indwells you with His Spirit and does a proper work with His Spirit in your soul, you will come under even more attack. From that sin that you've left there. And that's why I brought up that other verse from that song. Because it's that sin that we leave inside of us that goes, and that is our weak point, and that's where it starts working in on our lives. And we start becoming ineffective for the Lord. There's a warning for us too. So we've had two reactions. We've had the Pharisees. We've had the crowd who said, wow, and then nothing else. And then we've got a third reaction to Jesus. And on the face of it, it seems quite good. Verses 27 to 28. Here's this woman. She's seen all this happening. She's seen Jesus going at these Pharisees. And then she says, Lord, blessed be the woman that war, that carried you in her womb and that suckled you at her breasts. And on the face of it, she was just expressing emotionally what she felt about the Lord, wasn't she? But what was she saying? Blessed is the Woman who bore you. So, this is a good direction, but it's kind of misdirected. And today there are many who would venerate Mary for what she did for our Lord. But Jesus is saying here, no. Give worship where worship is due. Look to the Lord, not to his mother. Don't misdirect your worship. Rather give your worship to the Messiah Himself. There are many that do that today. Just take religion. You go to many churches today, and I'm speaking about churches, and a lot of religion happens there, but no worshipping of the Lord. A lot of good Christian music happens there, but the worship, the music gets worshipped, not the Lord of the music. A lot of theology gets worshipped today, and not the Lord of the theology. You see, we are quick to do that. A lot of causes are done in the name of Jesus Christ, but they forget about the one we're doing it for. We need to direct our worship to Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying to her. Yes, it's good, but worship the Messiah. I want to close this morning by just taking us to four action points here. The so what questions. You know them, they always come along. Otherwise, why read this? The first one is this one. Wow is not an action. You got it? Wow is not an action, it's a reaction. And you can be wowed by many things you see and hear about in Scripture, but what are you doing about it? Is there a similar action in your life from that place onwards? Are you just having an emotional response with no resulting obedience? James speaks about that in our home group. We've been looking at this verse quite a few times. If you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, to you it is sin. You see, wow is not an action. But Jesus requires action from you and I. Second point I want to do is this. You are at war. And I don't know if you noticed that, but Jesus is casting a demon out of, the enemy out of someone, right? Right? Talking about Satan, the enemy, the archenemy of Christians. You are at war. You see, in our comfortable lifestyles today, we often forget we are at war. We've got a peacetime mindset. Jesus is calling us to a war time mindset. You are working against the strong man, and there is the stronger man that you need to be taking your orders from, says Jesus. Are you in a war mindset? First 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Prepare your minds for action. What is the action? It's a wartime action. Because you are under attack. Satan goes around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Are you going to be the next victim? Are you in a wartime mindset? Let's not forget we're involved in a war. The third action point is this one. No action is not neutrality. Just look carefully at those words. No action is not neutrality. If you're in a little boat going down the Wanganui River, right, see it? Or's if you stop rowing, do you just stay in one spot? No. You'll go with the current. So you need to be rowing to go against the current, right? Same picture. If you are not acting in your Christian life, you will go backwards with the current. What is the dominating current in us? We've all got indwelling sin, don't we? And you will go with that current. And so we need to be continually paddling with the Lord's help and the Spirit in us upstream. We need to be paddling to keep growing with the Lord. You cannot be neutral towards Jesus. You cannot be neutral towards His commands. We are all like pig pen. Remember pig pen? Friendship with the world, says the Lord, is enmity with God. How friendly are you with the world? Are you gathering with Jesus? Are you scattering with Satan? You see, we can't be neutral. It's one or the other. There is, and I said it last time, there is no no man's land in Christianity. What did Jesus say about people who thought they could be neutral? I want to show you what happens. Revelation chapter 3. The church of Laodicea. Look what Jesus said to them. And if Just ask the Lord. Lord, am I like this today? Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. This is what he says. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, The beginning of the creation of God. This is what he says. I know your works. Were they doing works? Yes they were. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. You see? One or the other. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I never knew you. Now, there's a warning. Are you cold or hot for the Lord Jesus Christ? No action is not neutrality. And then the last point this morning is this one. Obedience is worship. Do you get that? Your obedience to the Lord is worship of Him. The contra of that is, disobedience is not worship of the Lord. And I'm speaking to Christians Is your house swept clean and filled by the Holy Spirit? Is every room in your house yielded to Him? And you can understand what I'm saying. Every room in your house is it yielded to Him. Or is there a little dark room there you're keeping all for yourself and you can go in there whenever you like and it's just you and that little dark room. Jesus hasn't been in there yet. You can put the sin name on that little room whatever it is in your life. Have you yielded every single room in your life to Jesus Christ? Because the truth is this, it will either be yielded to Jesus or it will be yielded to something else. There's no in-between. And if you're a non-Christian here today, my challenge to you too is this, you can't have true change in your life without conversion. In other words, You cannot change your own life without Jesus Christ. It will not be permanent. Remember that story about the demons that come back in? They'll come back with a vengeance. And you will find yourself, you've tried hard your whole life, and you will find yourself giving up in the end, because you haven't come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way to have a permanent change on your life. You need to yield to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it will be temporary. Come to the stronger man, Jesus Christ, and be saved. I pray that you'll have something there that the Holy Spirit has been pressing on your heart this morning. I pray that you will not walk out of these doors and remain neutral to the gospel message. Because you'll either be gathering with the Lord or scattering. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for Jesus Christ. Thank You for this example once again of the Messiah at work with power. And thank You, Lord, for this evidence that we could see of Jesus Christ having power over every evil spirit and any problem we too may face today. Thank You for the stronger man, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You for Jesus dying on that cross Thank you for him overcoming our great enemies, Satan and death. Thank you and hallelujah for that, that he overcame Satan and death. Lord, thank you that you are the only one who can give us eyes to see the battle and you are the one who can give us the strength to join in that battle. Lord, may we not rest easy in our daily walks before you, but may we remain in a state of war with sin and with Satan, knowing that our great Lord, the Jesus Christ, is the powerful Saviour of the world. Lord, help us to turn to You with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit so that we will live obedient lives, so that the world will see that You are alive through our lives. And Lord, help us to bring every single facet of our lives to you for cleansing. May we not think that we can hold onto anything and you will not notice or it will not have an effect. Lord, save us from the sin in us. To your glory we pray. Amen.